how are you feeling today? Are you really fine? Welcome to our next episode of No Really, I'm Fine. I'm Michael Pearson, and before we start, I just want to say on behalf of the entire team here, we've been absolutely blown away by the response since our launch. We're currently sitting about third on Apple's podcast chart in the health section, and we've been featured on Spotify's homepage, and tons of you have been in contact to share your stories with us. That's the most important part. If you'd like to share your story or any feedback with us, um, you can email us on podcasts at reachplc.com. That's podcasts at reachplc, or one word, dot com. And also, don't forget to leave a lovely review on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. It helps just push us up the charts and reach more people. Now, today's episode is the deeply compelling story of Callum Carson. He's a Scottish sport journalist who has waived his right to anonymity to share his story about being a victim of male rape and his mental health battles since the trial came to an end in 2006. Callum wants you to hear his story and he believes this will help others to deal with the trauma of sexual assault. Now, this episode doesn't go into the details of his ordeal, but we must say it is a very hard-hitting topic, but we feel it's incredibly important for you all to hear. As ever, you can follow us on Twitter at I'mFinePod underscore, where we'll be sharing a written version of Callum's story. And you can find a link to it in our description. Here's Gemma with Callum's story. So, good afternoon, Callum. Nice nice to uh, hear from you. Let's kick things off, though. How are you feeling today? Are you really fine? Yeah, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm a wee bit nervous doing this, but it's fine. Yeah, you'll so- we'll soon relax into things. <laughs> just, just treat it like a normal conversation. <laughs> so you got in touch with me a while ago. Yes. When you found out we were doing this podcast. And it seems like you're a very busy man from what you were telling me. You're a sports reporter up in Glasgow, up in Scotland. You're a director of a non-profit mental health organisation called Mind Like Ours. You've been on TV. You've, you've done loads of stuff. So how do you ever have time to fit it all in? Because as journalists, you know, we both know it's, it's a stressful <laughs> job. It can be, yeah. <laughs> that you have to kind of manage manage the time properly. In terms of kind of the the minds like ours stuff, although the the charity itself or the the non profit organisation part of it doesn't really exist anymore, we've got all I've still got all kind of the the friendships and whatnot through that. So um, sending messages every so often to pals I kind of met through that to to just kind of check in on everyone. It's quite a nice wee community that we just kind of they actually all came to my wedding a couple of years ago as well which was the first Aww. time we all we all met up in person after this kind of support network online for for a couple of years so that was quite nice and I say we've just kind of kept in touch through that just checking in on everyone and if we happen to be in and around each other's kind of town then we meet up for a wee a wee meal or a coffee or something how long have you been married for Two years. The second anniversary was actually on Monday. Oh, <laughs> so two happy years. anniversary. Thank you, thank you. How long have you been um, a journalist for? I've been at the West Lothian Courier for five and a half years, which is actually all right because I was only meant to be doing a three-week work placement to cover for the editor's honeymoon. Uh, oh, right. And somehow I managed to stay, so <laughs> it's worked out quite well. <laughs> a while ago, probably about 
2014. So how many years is that? Four or five, is it? My maths isn't good. Anyway, in, in 2014, um, you, you wrote a, such an incredible piece for the Daily Record. It, it was really, really mind-blowing and really brave of you to do. And I don't like that word. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure how you feel about the word brave, but I, that's what I honestly thought when I, when I read it. Do you want to talk a bit about, about that? Yeah, it was uh, a tough one to write, but I'm, I'm kind of glad, well, I'm very glad I was, I was kind of given the opportunity and Obviously, having been part of kind of the Daily Record sister papers, it was a good opportunity for me to get it all out there. For those listening who who haven't haven't read it, do you want to talk about that experience? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess. I mean, in in terms of the actual article itself, um, basically, I, I kind of waived anonymity uh, to talk about kind of sexual assault when I was. 19 I think it was it was uh, Christmas Eve kind of walking home from work when I got attacked and obviously kind of life-changing the court case as well that came about with it and kind of how that led I was already struggling with kind of mental health and uh, anxiety and depression and whatnot but that obviously kind of exacerbated it and yeah essentially I kind of wrote about the actual aspect, you know, kind of that aspect of it and how it affected my mental health, but also kind of how I was able to, I guess overcome is probably the the right word, but uh, certainly kind of move past that, I guess, would kind of cover it. For a long time, were you, were you sort of afraid to talk about it? Because as the article mentions, you know, you were sexually assaulted by a man and mm -hmm. you, you mentioned back in, in 2005, you know, male rape wasn't recognised as a crime. So yeah, yeah. were you actually afraid to sort of open up about it? I, I, I was with kind of the people I knew as soon as the kind of incident itself happened. I don't know if it was just autopilot or something, but I, I literally just went, I have to go to the police about this so in that respect I wasn't worried in terms of kind of reporting it and then what would kind of be the next steps from that but in terms of kind of my friends my you know kind of university I was at university at the time um I just kind of really wasn't mentioned probably I mean it's a, it's a difficult thing to talk about it's a difficult thing for me to talk of about course. now and it was kind of 13 14 years ago so kind of being so close to the event I think I, I kind of sh shut down a wee bit I guess. What sort of happened afterwards you know with you dealing with your anxiety and depression how how did that unfold? I, I'd already had you know kind of severe anxiety and depression for kind of years before that without I guess kind of fully recognizing what it was the the kind of particular incident I guess just kind of made it all worse I guess I kind of dropped out of university didn't really leave the house unless I needed to for a long time when I did leave the house it was basically to go to work in a job that I didn't really like didn't really communicate with with people and that probably went on for a good couple of years kind of struggled with alcohol gambling things like that I was gonna I guess kind of going off the rails a wee bit and I'm not sure what kind of happened or if there was a specific moment but 
it kind of seemed like I just kind of looked at myself and thought, what am I kind of doing? Where, where, where's my life going? Something's kind of not quite right here. How can I change it? What I decided basically was that not telling people about it didn't help because there's this big, massive kind of thing that's happened. It's a, it's a big part of my life. And I wasn't talking about it, so I was. I guess I was almost creating a different personality, and that wasn't working for me. Basically, so I kind of said to myself, "I need to open up. I need to talk to people. I need to talk to my friends. I need to go into counselling." And one of the things I actually decided to do, which really helped, was actually just get a, a tattoo, kind of a survivor tattoo, and that kind of seemed to work. And just kind of started to take steps steps forward from that. Did you find that from the tattoo that was sort of the beginning of your recovery? Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. If nothing else, because when people saw it, they asked what it was, and I made a promise to myself to tell people. You know, if they asked what it was, I would tell them. Not necessarily about, about the incident, but I would just say, "Look, it's a sexual assault. It's a rape survivor tattoo," and that was it. You know, that that was me. I guess kind of being honest with people because before I, as I say, I kind of hid away from it, created this kind of personality that that wasn't really me, and just talking about it, and even actually kind of just seeing the word "survivor" written on my wrist, that was like, right, I've, I've kind of got through the worst. Yeah, I can get on with my life now. I guess. Do you think that this sort of in a way helped you open up about your mental health as well or were you already quite open with your mental health? I think it was a bit of both. Um, I definitely, to kind of go back to to the very, very start, I'd kind of struggled with with mental health a lot during my early childhood, teenage years because I was was adopted when I was like five or six because I had kind of abusive parents. My adopted parents were were great, kind of looked after me and, and whatnot, but I still have a few wee memories of kind of my birth parents and that kind of shook me growing up. I was always quite, quite shy. One of my only memories of of my birth parents is actually of them hitting me for, for saying no to them. So I've always had this fear of, I guess, kind of saying no to people. That's um, awful. And yeah. saying, a, a fear of basically upsetting people. So once I got to teenage years, I would be more and more reserved and alone, I guess. I grew up in a tiny wee village as well so there wasn't a, a core group community big pals going from a tiny wee village in in north wales back up to scotland into glasgow was you know it was kind of suddenly everything was there and you know being able to spend loads of money in shops and go to bookies and buy alcohol and things like that that i couldn't do back home that exacerbated the underlying issues that i didn't really know about and then this kind of incident happened. I guess it kind of all clicked in my brain that there wasn't something there because I can remember a couple of months after the attack thinking to myself, I didn't actually really care if I died during that incident. And I thought, right, that, something's not right there. That's not, you should want to live. So what's going wrong here? And that's when I guess you could say kind of evaluated almost a step by step my life like I'm drinking a lot why am I drinking a lot I'm not going to sleep why am I not going to sleep and that was kind of the first steps of opening up to myself more than anything else 
about what the issues were and then kind of getting professional help and having pals to chat to and, and whatnot, yeah. It seems that for you to grow stronger, you've had to go through these awful incidents. With, with you saying when you were little as well and with your uh, birth parents and saying you got attacked when you said no, I mean, I find it difficult myself. I can't say no hardly to people. I just I feel like I'm a real people pleaser, but sometimes, as you probably know, it, it's exhausting. <laughs> um, but did you find in a way, once you went to Glasgow and you had all these this access to all these things and you've not been saying no for such a long time you were finally able to sort of go out into the world and do what you want because you didn't have that abuse there it was a good thing and a bad thing because I I could go out and do what I wanted but too often it was destructive things I was doing you know I moved back up to Scotland because I'm originally from Scotland and then we moved down to Wales and and kind of made my way home back up looking back at it I certainly wasn't mature enough to make that move, that big move. And a lot of that was down to the fact that I had these underlying mental health issues, the not sleeping, depression, not really having any pals because I didn't go out and do things. And that was that was kind of a big thing for me when I when I moved to Glasgow. I would almost overcompensate and try and be everyone's pal and try and be the life and soul of the party, which would often kind of involve drinking far too much <laughs> and everyone everyone deals with it in different ways but did you turn to alcohol as your sort of let's ignore the anxiety and depression was was alcohol your sort of answer for that yeah yeah definitely I would drink far too much I would go into work hungover or drunk four or five days out of the six in the week that I would work which uh, isn't a healthy lifestyle as awful as what happened, the fact that it was on Christmas Eve as well and you, you were just walking home from work. You were saying at the time you almost didn't you didn't want to fight back, you almost didn't care. Do you think as horrible as it was for you to go through that, are you sort of, well, I suppose, glad that you went through it, that it was a wake-up call for you? Yeah, totally. I, I know what you mean. It's, it's kind of a weird thing to say that it, you don't want to say it's a good thing that happened, but uh, it was life-changing initially negatively, but the way I guess I've kind of dealt with it and turned my life around, I don't know if I would have done that if I hadn't gone through it. It certainly kind of made me reevaluate my life and what what's going wrong. This isn't how I'm meant to be. You know, I'm, I did well in school. I'm a clever guy. Why am I, I guess, kind of ruining my life? What's what's in my brain that's that's kind of making me do this self-destructive lifestyle? So far, I've turned it around. <laughs> At the time, what were people's reactions when you, you know, essentially waved your anonymity to tell people that you were raped by, by a man? What were your family's reaction? What were your friends' reactions like? Uh, positive, positive. I think out of all the people I've kind of told and kind of opened up about it, there's only really been kind of one negative reaction. So as frustrating as that one negative reaction was, I, I think it's a pretty decent ratio when there's been you know hundreds and thousands of of positive comments that's kind of what you want to focus on although you know kind of almost focus on this this one negative when there's thousands of positives and kind of try and think well well, why is why is he thinking like that is there something Mm. I've done wrong here it's funny isn't it um how you your brain sort of 
wants to la- lash on to the one negative thought to sort of justify your own thoughts in your head. It's like saying, let's forget like these thousands of people who've got in touch with me to say well done or give me support. Let's just focus on this one person. <laughs> um, it's really frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, even I mean, like even in my job now with, with kind of the sport, sports report and if I go read the paper on a Thursday when it comes out and I do six or seven pages, whatever it is, and I spot one typo or a missing comma somewhere, I, I can kind of kick myself for it. And you're like, well, it's it's not really that major a thing. So I, th- I think that's a big part of me kind of making steps forwards, uh, kind of from the from the incident. It's kind of trying to rationalise thoughts, you know, and kind of thinking, right, there's this negative, you know, I've, I've got this kind of negative thing in my brain just now, but if that actually happens, what's the consequences and Previously, I would overthink things, but now I'm trying to think rationally, I guess, about everything. And and that's kind of certainly helped uh, my mental health for going forward, yeah. In a way, has the whole experience made you stronger? Because you must think back and think, right, well, I've been through the worst possible thing and I've come out the other side. Is that sort of given you comfort? Yeah, definitely. I, I guess I, I now kind of know what I can handle mentally and the pressures I can't imagine I'm going to be under any greater kind of mental pressure than than that and the whole kind of court case uh, that came from it. There was kind of one kind of moment in the court case that I can always remember that looking back at, I guess, was turning point was uh, when they said, why didn't you fight back? And instinctively, it wasn't even something I'd thought about. Instinctively, I just went, well, it could have been worse. I could have been, you know, I could have been killed. And that, it could have been worse. It was always something I pulled on to just in life, you know. If anything happens, well, it could be worse, you know. It's, it's not a, if you write a, a negative story and someone moans at you about it, well, everything could be worse, I guess. <laughs> what was going through court like, having to see the person again? Yeah, that was, in fact, there's a, there's a story about that as well. Um, when I went to the police station to identify kind of the person you know in in the lineup um so what happened basically what happened with the attack was it it was kind of one person i guess you could say was kind of on watch out and immediately kind of when i went to the police that day uh, they kind of showed me pictures and i said that's him there Uh, but when i went to do the kind of id parade it was actually the person who was kind of the watch out that I'd pointed to to the police and the person that actually did it walked into the waiting room while I was waiting to kind of do the ID parade basically so I was like oh really that's him yeah yeah so I, I yeah yeah that was uh yeah that was that's a shocking. traumatic yeah the, that was a traumatic yeah. experience he literally just kind of walked in and uh, I kind of said to the police that that's, that's him. Uh, yeah, so that was, yeah, that was uh, an experience I don't <laughs> didn't yeah. want to go through. Why was it? Why was he just in the waiting room? I don't understand. I've no idea. I've no idea. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if kind of the two of them have kind of a long history of kind of were well known to the police or something. I I, I genuinely don't know. Um, 
yeah, no, I, I, I genuinely don't know. And I kind of never got an explanation for that. I just kind of no. told the, the police there that that was him. And they were like, oh, right, okay. Uh, so he's not <laughs> in the ID parade. I was like, well. Obviously not, no. <laughs> uh, but again, with, with the ID parade, uh, you have to either identify, you know, you have to identify the person or the person that looks most like him. So I had to go into the ID parade knowing he wouldn't be there, but having to pick out someone that kind of looked kind of like him. So I had to go through the ID parade and then say, I've picked this person out, but I know it's not him because it's this guy that's just walked into the room 10 minutes ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. How did you not want to punch him there and then? Or, do, or were you just shell-shocked? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think it was just shell-shocked. I think I was like, oh, right, uh, uh, I don't think he was in the room for long either. I think he kind of opened the door and kind of walked there. I don't know if he was being taken to another room and walked into the wrong room or something. What? Did he recognise you? I would imagine so. I would imagine. Mm. I certainly recognised him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I would imagine because it was only like three or four days later. Uh, so I'd have to imagine so. Going back to the original question, the court case. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I've got a bit of, <laughs> off tangent there. <laughs> Just can't believe that happened. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, I know, I know. Yeah, the, yeah. It, again, it was kind of autopilot. I don't know. Kind of looking back at it, I don't. I can't remember too much about it because it's all kind of a blur. You just kind of had to do it. But the the, the kind of main thing about the the court case was, um, as I kind of wrote. In, in the article for, for the record when I wrote that was uh, their argument was essentially, well, he's gay, which I don't really understand. Yeah. You know, because it doesn't matter. Even if I was, what does that mean that it can't be a sexual assault? Yeah. So that, that, that was kind of their main argument, basically. Um, and yeah, he got, he got the... I got a not proven verdict. Yeah, so I, I guess I kind of didn't get justice, I guess you could say. Um, mm. But as daft, I say as daft as it sounds, it might sound daft, but in many ways didn't bother me because I kind of went through it all and I did everything I could and thinking about it rationally, okay, it happened, but there was no witnesses, so how do you prove it? And, and you know, it's it's... As we kind of all know, it's, it's sexual assault and sexual violence is kind of difficult to get through the courts and, and to prove for that very reason that it's usually only kind of one person's word against another. As much as you know, he, he didn't get found guilty, I was able to kind of process within myself that I'd done everything that I could so I could kind of be happy with that. That's such a strong stance to take as well thinking you've done your best you can so there's nothing more you can do how do you feel though the fact that he's essentially out there now still yeah yeah i know it's uh yeah i don't know i don't know is it something that you've thought about or have you just sort of gone along with no massive i thought about it a lot closer to the time that I, I didn't know the person so it, it wasn't like i had to kind of deal with this person being there every day or anything like that which possibly helped I think because I wasn't 
having to deal with, as I say, kind of him being being there every day. Um, but there was a few times where I would kind of be out in town in Glasgow thinking he could just kind of walk past me right now. But yeah, I've, I've not thought that for for a while, mainly because I moved out of Glasgow, I think. I think that might have helped. Did you move out for that reason or was it just No, 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 it was it yeah. was for it was for work. My office just now is in is in Bathgate, which is kind of between Glasgow and Edinburgh. So I took the decision to kind of move to Bathgate when, when that kinda of came up. So I'm not not in Glasgow too often. Do you think you can forgive your attacker? Uh, I, yeah, this is kinda of something I've always thought about. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I, I I think so is probably the correct answer. I don't know. If I was ever to see him again, I, I don't know what would happen. Um, but I think the fact that the chances of that are so remote that it's not something I have to think about probably makes me more likely to to kind of think that I would forgive him, mm. if that makes sense. It's easier because yeah, you're not easier. around them twenty four seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the right phrase. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you said in your story on, in the Daily Record that we need to break the taboo. We need to break the silence. Were you referring that to male rape at the time or mental health? Because I believe you know it, it's still a strong statement for both of those scenarios. Yeah, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, it is kind of both. Um, kind of, I guess that the kind of main focus of the story was kind of male rape, but I did also talk about mental health, and that's that's definitely still, obviously quite quite a taboo. So yeah, it was definitely aimed aimed at both. I would say. How is your mental health at the moment? Uh, it's it's the best it's been, certainly. Um, I kind of now know what to do and what not to do. I don't, for example, I don't, I don't drink unless I'm kind of completely comfortable with the people I'm around and kind of the environment I'm in. Like, for example, for a Christmas night out with work, I would have a couple of drinks, but I wouldn't go out clubbing with pals, so to speak. You know, I kind of try and be active from a kind of fitness point of view, I try and join clubs and go for runs and, and whatnot when I can. Obviously, I've kind of got a, a stable family life as well. I've now got a, a wife and uh, a baby on the way in a few months. Oh, so, congratulations. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I would say I'm the best I've been, but I'm, we kind of all know it's a, a work in progress. And I guess the the frustrating thing about kind of mental health and anxiety and depression and whatnot is you're always kind of fighting that, I think, you know, you're always one wee trigger or 10 seconds away from kind of being not fine, you know, from being happy to kind of struggling for the rest of the day can just take kind of one word or something, you know, just something most people would kind of think is innocuous, but it can kind of set you back for for days, really. Um, but I, I, I'm the best I've been at managing it, certainly. Do you know what your triggers are now? Yeah, alcohol's a big one. <laughs> I can drink, but I can't get drunk, if that makes sense. 
So like yeah. I, I can have like one or two drinks and kind of be happy and, and cheery, but I can't be legless to use, <laughs> to use the phrase. <laughs> yeah, then you have to deal with the after effects, don't you? And you just spend the rest of the day having a hangover, but also... Beating yourself up about it. And you're like, oh, what, yeah. why have I done this to myself? That was stupid. Or not remembering what you've done the night before and trying to piece it all together. And uh, Yeah, the, uh, the, there's just kind of wee, wee things that I've noticed over the last couple of years that are just kind of best to kind of remove from myself and kind of the environment, I guess. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm managing it okay now. And have you had any support off any organisations after what you went through? Not massively, to be honest. No. Um, when I, that, again, kind of going back to the article, I wrote in the article that when it happened, which was 2004, 2005, something like that, rape crisis actually didn't have anything in place for men at all. So I kind of went from kind of counsellor to counsellor for years really kind of, kind of trying to find one that worked the big th- the, the big thing actually was kind of minds like ours when that when that came about when i kind of came across that that was a big thing that kind of helped me um although it didn't it didn't last very long in kind of the organization's point of view but as i said earlier i've kind of made friends and got that kind of support network around me through that which is a big thing, uh, having people that you can kind of talk, you know, they're, they're folk I only maybe talk to three or four times a year, but when you talk to them, you can kind of be open and be yourself. And I know that I can go to them and say, can you give me, give me, give me a wee ring when you get the chance I could do with a chat or vice versa as well. They know, they all know they can kind of contact me and contact everyone else and just say, struggling a wee bit. What, you know, what, what do you think? What, what can we do to kind of get through this? Do you find it easy to talk to your wife when you're having a bad time? Yes. Yep. Yeah. That's definitely a a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can just say, or you know, she's great. If if I kind of need a a day in bed, or you know, to just sit on the couch and watch the telly for ten hours. Yeah. <laughs> she she knows she knows how to manage me. I guess. <laughs> yeah. She knows kind of the right things to you know the right thing to say. Right, let's go for a walk or the right time to just say, Oh, why don't you why don't you have a wee a wee two hours on your PlayStation or something like that, you know, to try and kinda That sounds perfect. It's what you need, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. You need someone to kick you up the bum. Yeah. That, you know and what, then that's someone to make you relax. What it is. Yeah. And she knows <laughs> she knows when to do what in that regards, which Yeah. Is always helpful. But it sounds like you got a really good support network and Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It you know, it's good that you, you got there in the end with the support because it sounds like you, you didn't at first. So it's nice to know that you've got that now. Do you think that's why you're perhaps doing okay at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I'm, as I say, I've kind of got a stable family life. I've got a stable friendship network. I've got a stable job that I really enjoy. So, yeah, if, if I have all three of those things in place, then I'm kind of fine 99% of the time. So that's good. What would you say, Callum, to someone who's listening now who's perhaps, I hope that, I hope no one has, but there might be someone who has been through a similar situation like, like yourself. What, what advice would you give? Talk. Talk to people. Talk to anyone. A trained professional would be great, but I know that's quite a, a big step. Yeah, just, just talk, be open, 
be honest. The big the big thing about mental health is kind of we all know, I guess, is it's kind of be honest. Being honest with yourself is probably the biggest, most difficult step. But I think once you you're able to process and understand everything, it it can help a lot. So having someone to kind of chat to, bounce ideas off in terms of trying to you know improve your mental health or anything like that i think uh aye, that's that's the main thing that's that's the biggest positive i think well it's um been lovely chatting to you callum i wish we were talking in different <laughs> circumstances but um you know it's it's yeah, really yeah. um in, inspiring and admiring to just listen to how far you've come you've been through so much and i really admire you coming on to to talk to me about such a difficult topic i know how hard it's been for you today so i do really appreciate it Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been tough, but <laughs> it's been worth it. Thank you so much. No and worries. I just hope this story helps helps our listeners to open up if they want to. I mean, if they don't at the moment, then that's totally fine as well. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Callum. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>